0: Hello, and welcome to New Books in Performing Arts, a podcast from the New Books Network. My name is Andy Boyd. Today on the program, I'm speaking with Axel Englund about his book, Deviant Opera, Sex, Power, and Perversion on Stage. Axel, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. It's great to be here. I- I've got to say, uh, just off the top, I think you win the award for best Instagram account associated with an academic book. Oh, right. <laughs> Why, thank you. Thank you. I've been working a lot with that, actually. Yeah. So if, if anybody wants to have a sort of, uh, you know, visual aid for our conversation, you can just look up. It's it's at Deviant Opera. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Uh, exactly. And it, it's actually a good idea because it's so much about this visual culture uh, in in the opera house. So it's a good idea to have something to look
0: at uh, as well. So, yeah, if you're listening to this on your phone, feel free to fire up Instagram. <laughs> Um, so, could you tell us a bit about your kind of intellectual journey, and 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 how that led you to writing this uh, very interesting book?
1: Well. Um, I started out when I was uh, began my studies. I I started out with music. My my first training was in musicology, uh, music theory, and and mainly uh, compositions. I I wrote uh, a lot of music, chamber music, uh, orchestral music, but also mostly vocal music. So so I always sort of worked with with texts and uh, poems. Uh, in one way or another and then when I gradually defected into academia and into comparative literature, sort of went from aesthetic to academic work, I kept the connection between music and literature as my it's my focus. So so that's uh, sort of my, my background, uh, where I come from. And opera, uh, opera of course, is a natural uh, extension of that, that interest in, in literature and music since it comprises both uh, of those art
0: forms. So is, is opera sort of a lifelong passion of yours then? Uh,
1: not a lifelong one, I would say. It, uh, it was actually, while I was studying, I... Uh, I, I studied opera, uh, of course, theoretically uh, and and his music in, in music history, uh, but but the real love for it actually came when I got into Wagner and um, and the Ring of the Nibelungen. That was actually while I was doing my PhD, so a bit later. I, I'd studied Wagner for for harmony and orchestration before but it, it hadn't really gotten its hooks in me but but then suddenly I was I was drawn into this tunnel of, of wagnerism and I saw or heard nothing else for for years and I'm not sh- even sure I'm out of it now <laughs>
0: That's fantastic yeah Um could you could you kind of talk about more specifically uh, this opera book there are a lot of possible topics in opera and you've chosen to write a book that's about the overlap of opera and kink culture um when did you start noticing that connection
1: well uh, the first time the first time i the first time i thought about it actually was uh uh, during a performance of Tosca in Berlin uh, some, some 10 years ago or something. There, there was not actually a very risque production in any way, but it just struck me uh, what, what a pervert the Baron was, Sca- Scorpia, uh, <laughs> and, and how, how he had sort of traits of both Uh, sadist and masochist because he sort of got off on the idea that Tosca, the the opera diva, the the heroine of the opera, really uh, feels uh, a revulsion uh, uh, for him and and he sort of needs that, uh, her her contempt and hatred. So there are elements of of both sadism and masochism there And, and after that I started... Thinking about it, and and whenever I went to the the opera, there seemed to be some sort of element uh, from that visual world. It, it could be sometimes just a detail, a pair of handcuffs or or, or a bondage scene or whatever, and and sometimes it it sort of uh, went through a whole production uh, and was uh, you know a, a leading metaphor of of, of, uh, of, of the drama. Uh, so so that got me thinking about what, what, what this what this means why why has it become uh, such a common uh, c- common uh, thing in in contemporary staging to to have this uh, this imagery and i want to you, explore that uh,
0: the meaning of that you, you almost suggest that this imagery is maybe on its way to becoming a cliche in contemporary opera staging
1: yes in a way at least if you think about it as uh, think about contemporary stagings in terms of sort of innovation and and versus convention what 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 is what, what is new and original and what, what is cliched uh i think just just the fact that i i've sort of uh, Just the fact that some some, uh, dusty uh, professor has written a book about it means that it's uh, that that there's something sort of dated about it already because academia moves very. uh, I'm not that old, but uh, academia moves slowly. So, so sort of in order to make the observations enough observations to write a book about it, it sort of has to be uh, of a certain. uh, it has to be uh, cliched in a, in a certain way. But then, then I, I also think, and that, that's one of the points in my, my book, that, that everything is not about innovation and originality, right? Because a, a poem doesn't need a, a new vocabulary in order to say something interesting or say it in a striking way. And I think the same thing goes for uh, for stagecraft, that... that uh, there are, there, are, there are conventions obviously that these directors are working within uh, but, but that doesn't nest in and of itself make make their work uh, less interesting
0: um, Is there a sense in which we could say that BDSM and opera are sort of about the same themes?
1: Uh, well, not exclusively, obviously, but but yes, there are a, a fair few common denominators between them. That they're, they're both they're both uh, uh, about uh, sensual pleasure, but both erotic and aesthetic in both practices, although to different uh, degrees. And and that pleasure uh, in both cases uh, is always rooted through through a plot. Uh, they they both enlist real bodies to to represent the most preposterous fantasy scenarios uh, which are consistently uh, played out at at this intersection of gender power and uh, eroticism and in both oprah and bdsm the the performance is negotiated and scripted beforehand but but in the end it's sort of the 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 live event the corporeal uh, action that 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 justifies the the preparation Um, that's something like that
0: Sure. Is, so if we kind of zoom out and look at this phenomenon in a, in a sort of theater theory sense, is there a way that part of the work of this staging is drawing attention to the sort of role-playing artificiality of opera in an almost Brechtian sense? Uh,
1: yes, uh, ab- absolutely. Uh, precisely be- because um, opera is... Often this very stylized and excessive fantasy world that 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 is very very far from everyday life and very far from the sort of uh, the naturalist conventions that that uh, Brecht was uh, uh, critiquing right and uh, and there is. Uh, in a sense, this is even clearer in operas with, with some sort of realist uh, narrative, like the Italian verismo uh, uh, or or the likes. That that uh, the the this over the top constant singing uh, is has is a sort of uh, uh, V effect uh, in itself. Um, so so that uh, among other things that 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 uh, that makes opera, just like B- BDSM, a kind of ritualised theatre, a, a ceremony of sorts rather than a, a representation uh, of, of external reality. But then of course the, the, the conditions uh, of uh, theatre today and uh, including opera are, are, are very different from, from those uh, of, of Brecht's uh, time. So, so there are all, all, all sorts of uh, sort of, uh, of uh, well, caveats that, that one would need to uh, mm-hmm. um, mention. Uh,
0: it does strike me hearing you say that, that part of the kind of question about both, you know, any kind of non-naturalistic theater and, you know, sexual role play is how can something that everybody knows is in a sense not real still be emotionally effective and mm-hmm. pleasurable? That's that's a
1: very interesting paradox. And I, th- I think it's... Uh, That's also very much at the heart of both opera and and S and M role play because uh, the 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 artifice uh, and 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 the hyperboles, that 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 is so they're so obvious right but but nevertheless there is this sense uh, that that's that's definitely a cliche about opera right that that it hits. uh, it hits you sort of it stri- strikes at the core of your emotional being right there's something that uh, you, you really feel it there's something visceral uh about it and and in a similar way uh the, this bdsm role play practitioners tend uh this has been studied in in sociological sociological uh work uh, of various kinds and in interviews they they very often tend to speak about uh, or rationalize uh, this activity uh, by referring to authenticity. So, so th- mm. this this sort of detour uh, around something through something very artificial, which allows you to reach something that you perceive as as very deep, deeply deeply uh, hidden within your being, uh, if you well, if you will. Um, so, so something. Uh, a type of authenticity that is reached uh, by, by via uh, the detour of uh, artifice. Uh, that's another sort of uh, common denominator between these two. Yeah, let, let's pursue
0: this artificiality-authenticity line a little further. Um is I, I don't know if this is something that you were able to kind of discern, but are these stagings uh, primarily sort of done by people who have some personal familiarity with the BDSM subculture, or is it often sort of a outside, almost kind of voyeuristic perspective?
1: Uh, I mean, there, there are diff- different ways of answering, uh, a question like that the the, the the this this sort of sound empirical way of actually interviewing people uh and asking directors where did you get this idea is this does this resonate with your uh, with your own uh, self in some way but uh but that's not what I've done uh, obviously and i i tend to think that uh that that's not the case but because pre- precisely because it's uh, this rather widespread convention, uh, mm-hmm. I think it comes. Uh, it's it's part of a phenomenon that uh, on a larger scale, which is sort of a, a mainstreaming of, of this sort of uh, uh, was quote unquote deviant uh, sexuality. Then that that has been going on since uh, well, since the late sixties uh, around the time of Stonewall and and, and so on. The, this the S and M world sort of. Uh, uh tagged along uh in the pride movement and, and so gradually um uh, so uh which, which, which culminated then in in, in the years around uh, 2010 when I actually when I started writing this uh, book with with the um, uh, 50 shades trilogy books and and movies uh so so, so, so it's sort of gone from being some sort of clandestine, very secret uh, activity uh, to to being uh, included in, you know, IKEA commercials and uh, and coms and and whatnot. Um, so so I think it's that sort of uh, that visibility in popular culture uh, that's where this imagery uh, comes from when when it shows up uh, shows up on the upper stage.
0: Is this another sort of paradox of this uh, style of staging that um, it is becoming increasingly mainstream to see this imagery? And yet part of the the thrill of this imagery is that it is I mean, the title of your book is deviant opera, that it's supposed mm-hmm. to be deviant and subcultural. And, mm-hmm. you know, people speak of like dungeons and things like that. Is, is there a, a sort of way in which um, there's a there's kind of contradictory desires for something to yes. both be considered mm-hmm you know, mainstream acceptable, uh, for people to be able to be open about, you know, these desires and practices versus the desire for it to, to remain kind of counter hegemonic.
1: Yeah. Uh, absolutely and you, you put that uh, very well so there's all, not much i can add to that that, that that's, it's simply a simply a yes uh, and that's a conflict w- within the uh, the bdsm community it's voiced uh, very often because they the, uh, they sort of in a sense want to preserve this i underground uh, anti hegemonic identity as you say uh, but uh, but then they also want sort of acceptance and uh, and uh, knowledge in, in, in from uh, from society uh, around them and in a similar way of course these uh, these um, uh, Regie, theater, directors, theater, stagings. Uh, they started out as uh, a way of doing something radically new uh, with a, a very established canon uh, because that's sort of the phenomenon we're looking at, that, that opera uh, in in the century between 1850 and 1950, roughly, uh, the, the, the number of uh, new works, of new operas, uh, really uh, shrank uh, to ne- next to nothing, uh, and and today the the repertoire is is completely dominated uh, in 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 the large opera houses uh, by uh, this uh, well, if not a handful of works, then maybe fifty works that are played over and over and over. Uh, so that's sort of the the norm uh, against which uh, these staging uh, uh deviate uh, the the these the, the stagings are sort of the figures uh, that that uh, uh, appear against that ground
0: you also discuss a few um, new, new productions that also make use of this imagery right i mean there's one in mm-hmm. in seattle I, rem- I don't remember the name mm-hmm. of it but um could you discuss those a bit
1: yeah, sure. Uh, those, those um, uh, I mean, all, all the all the productions I write about uh, are actually from from the well, from the late nineties nineteen nineties up until today. So they're all more or less contemporary. But there are also uh, well new uh, new works. Uh, the, the the one in uh, the one in uh, Seattle, uh, which was by the uh, Seattle Modern uh, Opera Company. Um, uh, was there was actually uh, an uh, an old an old opera that had a new uh, or an opera from the early uh, 20th century that had a new libretto uh, written uh, to it. It was called Susanna's Secret, and and her a um, secret in the original opera was that she was a smoker. She hid that from her husband, but in this uh, updated version, it's that uh, she is uh, a dominatrix. Uh, so uh, and there's also this uh, there's this new. Uh, uh, Opera from 2017, which uh, is actually th- uh, uh, three a series of one-act operas, and the the one of them is called Safe Word uh, and has a, a, a BDSM theme. So that's that's a new uh, actual new opera, a, a, a new a, a new work entirely. Uh, so there are those uh, those two, uh, and I think that's that's an important part. Uh, of this uh, phenomenon, I think, because the the book is mainly focused on uh, canonic uh, operas, these uh, uh, very famous works uh, by uh, Handel and and Mozart and Puccini and Wagner, Uh, but... uh, a lot of energy and activity in the opera world is, is going on in other places. Sort of t- today is going on uh, outside the the these uh, major uh, opera houses uh, like Metropolitan in New York and and uh, Covent Garden in, in uh, and other places in, in Europe. There there are, there, are so, there is so much underground opera going on, uh, and in those uh, in those venues uh, this um, kink trend exists already in in the scores and compositions uh, sometimes
0: yeah it's, i'm i'm very interested in this idea of this this canon versus these kind of uh you know small kind of guerrilla opera companies doing new work <laughs> yeah, exactly. is there is there a sense uh, among the sort of i mean you know I'll, I'll i'll just say i'm i'm always on the side of new work as a playwright rather than you know doing <laughs> yeah, a new version yeah. of an old classic so is there a sense that these sort of uh, risque stagings of classic operas are a way to kind of uh, make these old, these old shows feel new in lieu of just staging an opera by a contemporary composer.
1: Well, in a way, uh, you, you could, that, that's at least one way of looking at it. But uh, I, I think there is, there is a difference uh, between uh, in a stage, stage plays, uh, like in, in spoken theatre, uh, and opera, because there is such, uh, uh, there hasn't been in in in, in theatre uh, this the same sort of disappearance uh, of of. New works. Of, of course, there's a, there's a canon, and, and of, of course there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of Goethe and Shakespeare being staged. But I, I think the situation is more uh, more pronounced in, in in the opera world. That that opera sort of uh, well, it's often it, it's often said that opera died uh, in the early twentieth uh, century, uh, and uh, and that's why we, we have this sort of uh, very um, Rigid uh, can, canon of, of old works. Of, of course, there are. There are. I mean, there are tons of uh, contemporary opera composers who, who who get furious with with uh, uh, with this sort of this sort of talk, and and, and rightly so, because there are also very good uh, uh, operas being composed today. But there is there. There's no denying that there is there is a difference in in uh, how how central uh, a cultural phenomenon uh, newly composed operas uh, are today uh, c- compared to what they were at the end of the 19th century
0: so you've you've discussed a bit about how um, BDSM has influenced the staging of many uh, classic operas has it also influenced the kind of singing or the instrumentation
1: no n- not really and, and that has to do with the fact that opera is situated at the intersection of, of two very different performance traditions uh that of the theater and, and that of classical music right there so theater staging has for, for a very long time had a, a very liberal attitude to stage directions uh but, but classical music on the other hand has had a much more strict relationship to the musical score the, the, the Textual uh, source, and those those are not absolutes, uh, obviously, but I, I think that makes for this strange situation where where you have uh, where you have uh, a sort of an auditory uh, part of the work that that is being treated. Uh, uh, in, a, in a more or less fundamentalist fashion. You, 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 obviously, you do things with uh, musical interpretation and uh, phrasing and, uh, uh, and, and balance in the orchestra and so on, but you play the notes uh, uh-huh. that were written, uh, whereas the, the stage directions are uh, typically uh, t- treated, you know, uh, um, in, in a very very free fashion, and, and uh, anything can show up on, on stage, basically.
0: What do you say to opera fans who would object that these stagings go against the intention of the composer and librettist?
1: Uh, well, first of all, they have a point. I, I, I think, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> of, of course, they, they, they go against uh, uh, what uh, the, the composer and librettist uh, intended. But um, a staging today is first and foremost, a contemporary work of art uh, or, or, or an artistic uh, practice. And, and its interpretation simply isn't bound by w- what the composer intended. Uh, so at least to me, there, there's nothing problematic at all in disregarding in the intentions of, uh, of a creator as long as the result is con- convincing or powerful or relevant. Uh, and sometimes it isn't, of course, but, but, but then something else has, has gone, wrong, gone wrong in the process. hmm
0: have any of these productions generated criticism from the BDSM community? Uh,
1: not that I know of, uh, but 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 they are as as uh, as I mentioned, the, they are sort of I see them at least as a part of this mainstreaming of BDSM, as sort of sliding into popular culture that many BDSM practitioners think of as as problematic. So for that reason, they uh, they may uh, perceive it as uh, as problematic, but there, ha- there hasn't been. Uh, anything uh, like the sort of criticism of Fifty Shades, uh, mm-hmm. which has been a, a, a hot, hot potato in, in, in the S&M uh, world because it sort of uh, misrepresents um, what, what BDSM is in a certain way. But I think that has to do with the fact that that, that uh, uh, it, opera just has uh, fewer uh, devotees than uh, romance literature.
0: Our listeners will really be shocked to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things that I found interesting about the book was that, that you know, I, I think it's easy to think of this as being a, a kind of contemporary uh, topic that's being grafted onto these older operas, but that's not entirely the case. Um, could, could you tell us a bit about uh, a, an opera or maybe it's an operetta called Lady Bumtickler's Revels? Yes, well, it's, I can uh, see it on the marquee, Axel. <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: it's actually um, uh, that's actually one of our funnier uh, findings. It's a it's, it's a text, uh, um, but but it's a piece of uh, a piece of pornography written in in the form of an opera libretto, uh, probably written in the late 18th century, and then republished a uh, hundred year late, years later in the Victorian. Era and and it's about it's a bunch of characters who all of them whip each other's butts during during the whole uh, uh, whole uh, two acts or uh, if I remember correctly and they have this these <laughs> uh, preposterous names Le- Lady Tickler and Lord Strangelet and uh, uh, and uh, variations of uh, on on uh, spanking and birching in various ways it's very very funny and it, it sort of te- testifies to this uh, well. Uh, the cultural trope associating uh, kink or uh, perversion with, uh, with opera.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, That's a hundred years is quite a long uh, shelf life for a piece of smut. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. That suggests there's some resonance there for sure. And and yeah, I mean, you know, when you when you think about the the timelines of these things, Marquis de Sade is a contemporary of Mozart, so it's not like these people, uh, you know, were were completely outside of each other's contexts.
1: No, absolutely, and and Mo- Mozart was was uh, had a f- famously. Dirty mind. Uh, he, he uh, there's a lot of uh, sexual uh, humor uh, and uh, specifically scatological humor in, in his uh, letters, and he even wrote uh, wrote a, sh- uh, a canon uh, called uh, "Lick Me Him Arch," uh, so, so lick my butt, uh, basically. Um, uh, so maybe so a lot, may of, be... lot, lot of filth uh, in in Mozart too
0: maybe that's uh a case in which it's perhaps not going so far against the original composer's uh uh intention to put some of that subject material more literally on mm-hmm. stage exactly um i mean certainly you know don giovanni is no prude
1: <laughs> no no he isn't uh that's uh and i mean he is li- like 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 sad was he is a libertine uh aristocrat uh, who sort of feels the uh, the, during the revolution years feels uh, the ground shake beneath his feet.
0: Um, One of the things you write that I thought was interesting is that these productions um, analyze the border between consent and assault. What do you mean by that?
1: Uh, Well, that's one of the things I observed when when studying uh, this wide array of productions. uh, Because over and over again, the, these staging set up a situation that starts out as a fantasy or a role play, a sort of a play within the play, and and then something pushes the game over the edge and it becomes real violence or abuse or even murder, that real within uh, the fictional world of the opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but what I argue in the book is that that uh, that figure or that that. Uh, Repeated gestures, opera's way of uh, commenting on its own relation to the to the real world. Because on, on the one hand, it is this uh, aesthetic fantasy realm, which is perfectly safe, sane, and consensual. Uh, but then there is something else at stake. There is an sort of underground connection to the uh, the power structures and and violences that take place in in, in the real world, and um, these staging sort of. Showcase that or, or put that sort of at the center of the audience's uh, attention.
0: Are these productions intentionally kind of drawing attention to misogyny or problematic gender politics in the original pieces?
1: Yeah, um, definitely, uh, uh, th- they are, uh, and the intention is uh, almost without exception to to uh, critique it or undermine it or deconstruct it, uh, which doesn't uh, necessarily mean that that uh, that always works.
0: Yeah, I'd love to talk about the, these these productions not working. What do you feel like are some of the potential uh, pitfalls uh, that this style of staging presents?
1: Um, well, that's, that's an important and, and difficult question. But put it this way, um, you, you have, have this art form that, that is haunted by all kinds of nasty ideologies and misogyny not being the, the least of them. And if you still want to put these works on stage, you're, you're facing sort of two opposite risks. On the one hand, if, if you don't show it, if you try to make this misogyny go away, there is the risk of glossing it over. Uh, and f- for instance, a, a pretty traditional production of, of the magic flute uh, often ends up communicating that, that it's normal and beautiful, that, that everything female is associated with darkness and weakness and, and lies and everything that is male is associated with, with light and and reason. So and we don't want that. Uh, on the other hand, if, if you want to show that this is misogyny, this is wrong, uh, uh, you're facing a different risk. Uh, and I'll I mention an example that I write about in the book. There's this opera by Benjamin Britten called The Rape of Lucretia. And there is a rape scene in this opera which has often been portrayed as sort of uh, ambiguous, as if Lucretia secretly actually desires her, her rapist. Uh, and then this is this interview with uh, the stage director of a production from New, New York, um, uh, and she's called Mary Birnbaum, uh, wh- where she says that she wanted to, uh, at all costs, she wanted to avoid this. So she tried to make the, the rape scene, I quote, as, as, gross, as gross and violent as possible, is what she says. Mm. So the idea is that the, the abuse must be unmistakable in order to expel the possibility of, of pleasure, uh, for, for Lucretia, but also for uh, the character, but also for the audience. Uh, so this is a very common line of reasoning when it comes to the, these more disturbing productions. Uh, and I, I call this in the book the, the hyperbolic gambit. You, basically, you exaggerate the violence in order to expose it, to make it disturbing enough, to make sure that the audience gets the message. Uh, but the problem is that th- there's no way that the directors and performers of course, can, can prescribe or predict the experience uh, of an audience. So r- regardless of how far you choose to, to push it, there will be people in the audience who don't get the message, but extract pleasure from the sites that are intended to be disturbing. And, and you only have to think about the fact that public executions and torture ha- have been historically acceptable forms of entertainment to, to, to realise that this is the case. Uh, but there will also, at the same time, there will also be people in the audience who experience uh, the violence as being too much to be justifiable, too too painful, and perhaps as a reawakening of, of, of trauma uh, triggering uh, past experiences and, and so on. And, and perhaps there will, at the same time, in between those two extremes also be people for whom the effect is the intended one where, where the combination of beautiful singing with the disturbing imagery will spark some sort of uh, critical reflection and, and serious thoughts uh, as well as an aesthetic or, or together with the aesthetic uh, experience. So, so it, it's, that's why it's a gambit, uh, this mm-hmm. hyperbolic gambit. It's, it's it's an open-ended game with, with uh, real high stakes and the audience must must have the right to sort of think and react for themselves because uh, the the result can never be guaranteed beforehand.
0: Right. I mean, this strikes me as a very common approach to kind of historically or politically sensitive material to kind of depict something as graphically as possible to make it clear that the production disagrees with that Mm -hmm. action. But then that also obviously runs the risk of subjecting your audience to uh, traumatic uh, images.
1: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And uh, and especially if, if that's if you take into account this this question of what is uh, original and therefore startling and what is conventional because uh, you you it, it, w- w- once you've seen. Uh, 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 a certain number of of these upsetting productions uh, uh, you, you're not startled in the same way anymore and, uh, and and it has been sort of this what was originally a, a deviance has been has been normalized
0: so we've talked a bit about some of the risks of these productions but you also write about productions that you feel were very successful and that used this imagery to kind of deepen the audience's engagement with mm-hmm. the material what are some of your favorite examples of that
1: Um, let's see, uh, there are, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of ones that I, that I really like, uh, I think, uh, one of them is, uh, is a Votsek uh, from, from the Bolshoi Theater, um, uh, Russia, uh, that's from 2010, if I remember correctly, or 2009, um, staged by uh, Dmitry Chernyakov, um. And that, I mean, Wojciech uh, um, is originally a play from the 1830s about, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, in a way about uh, class struggle. It's it's about uh, vulnerable uh, people who are sort of uh, uh, socially in a in a bad position. Uh, and uh, the when when Alban Berg wrote uh, the music to this is it was sort of the the, the first uh, the, um, the a pinnacle of, of modernist uh, opera in uh, it was written during the uh, first world war uh, and then but but then this the staging uh, 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 portrays vozek um, as uh, uh, in, in the original he's he's a soldier who who uh, serves his superiors, his officers, and, and takes part and takes part in medical experiments and and, and so on um, to in order to uh, earn his bread. Uh, but uh, in in this uh, in this Russian production, he's, uh, he's a male prostitute. So he's uh, all, all of these the, the medical experiments experiments and, and the serving of his superior officers. Uh, that's all uh, that's all a role play. Uh, um with, with sexual uh, were well not just uh, overtones but, but explicitly uh sexual and and then uh, and, and that makes the um uh when he murders murders his uh, fiance um uh, th- that reinterpretation uh, situates uh, the the murder scene as uh, as a sort of uh, S&M role play that goes wrong um uh, or that where, where he uh, or rather he 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 dresses the murder up in, in in this uh, uh consensual uh well uh, consen- a guise of consensuality uh um, while so, so so there's something very eerie uh about that that the 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 props he uses is this blindfold and and some lingerie uh and he he, he carries a riding crop uh that that echoes his own uh, humiliation with if, by his superiors, uh, but but in this scene with his uh, with his girlfriend, uh, the exterior external appearance is that of the, this consensual uh, contemporary uh, practice. Uh, but then uh, he, uh, he he pushes it uh, into real violence and 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 murders her, and it's so sort of it's so clear how how this. Uh, what what we would talk about as uh, today perhaps as as toxic masculinity uh, is this sort of uh, uh, sinister food chain where, where mm-hmm. ev- everyone uh, sort of beats those uh, below them and and in the most vulnerable position is this uh, uh, this poor financially uh, destitute uh, woman who 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 gets uh, who, who has to pay with her life and i think that that's always uh, it's always an unsettling scene but it's uh, uh, really uh, superiorly uh, gruesome in, in this staging uh, but also very uh, it's also very uh, dramatically and aesthetically uh, effective uh, and, and with great singing, all, all of this, uh, this whole production.
0: Yeah. And, and Wojciech is a, an opera and a play for that matter. That's kind of famously fractured and disjointed. So any staging mm-hmm. that Absolutely. lends a feeling of kind of organic unity might be, you know, at least worth looking at. Yeah. Uh, you also write about productions of Parsifal and Tosca that sort of, Stage the fraught power dynamics of opera itself. Could you talk a bit about those? Uh,
1: yeah, those that, uh, those are actually in one chapter together. Uh, so, so this Wagner and, and, and the Puccini um, operas, uh, and, and looking at those two works, they, they may seem like very strange bedfellows. Uh, but but the reason I put them together is that, uh, the, as you say, that they. Um, they put the they put the labourers of of opera on stage. Uh, so Tosca herself is of course always an uh, an opera diva um, in the in the original libretto too. But in these productions, uh, other characters are also producers, stagehands, uh, conductors, and and so on. Uh, so the the evil wizard uh, Klingsor in in um, Parsifal uh, is uh, is a conductor, and and he's sort of uh, conducting uh, the choir of flower maidens who are uh, uh, suspended in, in shibari bondage, which is this elaborate Japanese rope uh, bondage technique. Uh, so uh, what what that does, even, even though both of these productions are pre-Me Too, so to speak, they, they in retrospect, it's impossible not to see them as sort of a, a staging of a sort of a nightmare version of what is going on uh, backstage uh, at the opera house they, they they become a sort of allegory or, or dramatization of, of all uh, uh, all the, the problems in the opera at the workplace uh, because it's such a such a hierarchical uh, um, uh, environment uh, where, where, where well, conductors and and, and directors ha- have been uh, as we know have, have been the ones to uh, uh, be um, uh, unveiled as as predators
0: yeah that sounds fascinating um well axel I don't want to uh you know spoil your whole book so maybe we'd better leave it there but thank you so much for being on new books in performing arts to talk about deviant Opera
1: well thank you Andy it was was a pleasure to chat with you